This is Dear Analyst, episode number 33, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about donations, specifically comparing donations, a one-time, one-off pledge, if you will, to a charity or a nonprofit versus providing a recurring donation on a monthly basis. And the backdrop for this is obviously all the unrest, social unrest that's taking place all around the world. And as a result, we see a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of companies willing to putting, making commitments to donate to a lot of different uh, other nonprofits and organizations focused on the Black Lives Matter movement. And there are tons of different ways that companies and you yourself can help with the cause many different places you can donate, uh, helping with different causes from the victim memorial funds to uh, policy reform, police reform, incarceration, legal defense funds. There's so many different things that you can donate to, and they should, they're all great places to donate. But today I wanted to talk more specifically about a framework for thinking about how you donate if you're in a position to provide funds for one of these organizations. And I want to talk about how you can donate one time versus having a monthly recurring type of donation. And this, the topic for this episode kind of came from one of my colleagues who talked about how during the last week or so, there has been a lot of emotion and a lot of news around what's going on around the world. And as a result, a lot of people are I'm assuming flooding to donate to these different organizations. And the fear, or not the fear, but maybe the concern is that everyone's going to be donating given that this is all over the news cycle, it's all over social media. But then maybe after a few weeks, the donations will slowly dwindle because something else takes over the news cycle and the Black Lives Matter movement perhaps falls to the wayside compared to these other news stories. And... That may be true, that may not be true, but I think given the the nature of our, our, our media and how the news cycles works, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happens. And so I want to build a simple, oversimplified model of what it means for a nonprofit or one of these community, community organizations when you give a one-time pledge or donation and I should be more careful with how I say this, a pledge, from what I understand, is a donation that can spread over years or months. Uh, so th when I say one-time donation, I'm, re I'm specifically referring to, you know, today you, you go into, uh, you, you go to an organization you want to donate to, you give them $100, $1,000, whatever it may be, and then that's it for, for your contribution. So... Perhaps I shouldn't say pledge, it's a one-time donation. So I want to talk about how you can think about donating that one-time lump sum versus donating on a monthly basis. And in, in the kind of online SaaS world, this is called a uh, monthly recurring monthly recurring revenue, so to speak. 
So before I get into, well, actually, let's just go right into it. Um, if you look inside the show notes, I actually include a Google Sheet that you can copy that shows the comparison between a one-time donation versus a monthly recurring donation to a, a nonprofit. Um, so I, I'm just going to, instead of saying nonprofit, I'm just going to pick one um, one organization for now as an example. Let's say you are you are focused on donating to incarceration reform. In this case, let's say you're focusing on Equal Justice Initiative, EJI. So let's say EJI, you want to donate to EJI, you're on their website and you, you see the donate and you have the option to donate one time or to donate on a monthly basis. And given my hypothesis for the beginning of this episode, my hunch is that you're probably going to do the one-time donation and that's kind of your contribution given the current state of affairs in, in the world, um, which is completely fine. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. But I wanted to encourage folks to really think about the monthly recurring method. And if you open up the Google Sheet, uh, you'll see, I have screenshots of this, I think, as well in the, the blog post. But if you look at the first model, which is the one-time donation, this is from rows 1 through 32. There's a little table as well as a little chart that shows this one-time donation model. And I'm actually taking these stats from a, uh, let me just take a look here where my source is. Um, this is from DonorBox, uh, DonorBox.com. Um, this is from one of their non-prop, one of their blog posts. And they, uh, they have this quote here with a few stats I thought were interesting. So I'll just read off these stats really quick. The average monthly online donation is $52 or $624 per year compared to the one average one-time gift of $128. According to Network for Goods donation data, the average recurring donor will give 42% more in one year than those who give one-time gifts. Monthly donors also have a greater lifetime revenue per donor. Finally, 52% of millennials are more likely to give a monthly versus a large one-time donation. So there you have it. So if you're doing a one-time donation, the average is around $128. Um, if you are doing monthly, then that number is $52. So I took those numbers, plugged them into the spreadsheet. Super, super simple. I, I can't copy out enough. This is like a very oversimplified model for how uh, a nonprofit like EJI could look at how their uh, donors are, donations are coming in. So in the first model, the one-time donation, the, the stats says the average one-time donation per donor is $120. And let's assume that we have 100 donors that are donating $120, so that's $12,800. So if you look in the model, uh, starting in row six, we have 12 months of the year. So let's assume in month one, that one-time donation, $12,800 comes in. Let's, let's kind of pretend like, you know, right now, everyone's scrambling to donate. EGI gets $12,800. But then if you look at the rest of the months, it's pretty much blank. Because again, I'm with the hypothesis that people are scrambling to donate one time, and you'll see that there's just like no donations up until month seven. So why did I say month seven, there's all, all of a sudden a $40,000 spike in donor revenue? Well, that's because from my 
basic understanding of how a lot of nonprofits work and a lot of uh, organizations like this is that you'll maybe have these really big annual or biannual fundraising events. You'll have dinners, galas, fundraising events, so on and so forth. And those are meant to bring in new funds. And I'm assuming that in month seven, for whatever reason, EJI does a huge fundraising dinner and they bring in $40,000 of new donations in just that one month alone, which completely blows out the donor revenue for month one, obviously. But that, again, these are all made up numbers. The second line in the model is new one-time donations. So we can let's just assume that every month starting in month one, the EJI receives $1,000 from new donations from just random people around the world. Uh, and then from that point on, every month after, they get $100 more. So in month two, they get $1,100. Month three, they get $1,200, and so on and so forth. And these are just from outside sources unrelated to the first line, which is just the one-time donation that's happening right now because of all the influx of people. And so obviously, you know, there's that's kind of more consistent revenue or donations from around the world. So now if you look at the final chart, you have this spike in month one, obviously, because of all the news and all the people that are rushing to donate right now because it's in the news cycle. But then that quickly filter that quickly tapers down, decreases down to $1,000 per month in terms of uh, new one-time donations. And that kind of slowly um, increases up until month seven when you have that big monthly, the big annual event, the fundraising event that brings in more revenue. And then after the event, after that event, the total revenue quickly drops down to below $5,000. And you can see the line. It's basically like one big spike in the middle of the year. And so that's, I, I think, how most um, nonprofits and you know, 5013Cs, et cetera, will achieve their fundraising goals and, and model the revenue, which is we have all these events and fundraising events planned throughout the year that are, that are expected to bring in revenue, as well as you know applying for grants and other things like that. But for the most part, these are kind of very lumpy uh, the, the revenue that comes in is very lumpy. Let's put it that way. And so that is the one-time donation model in my oversimplified way of thinking about the world of nonprofits. And, I'm, and if you work at a nonprofit and you, and you work in fundraising, you know, I'm sure there's so many more caveats I'm not thinking about, so feel free to refute me, prove me wrong, all that good stuff. So if you scroll down in the spreadsheet now to row 33, this is looking at the monthly recurring donation model. So we know that based on the, uh, uh, what was the data source, Network for Good, they said that the average monthly on online donation is 52 bucks. So clearly less than the one-time donation of $128 because it's monthly. And let's also assume that the number of donors that are willing to give um, that $52 is 100 Now that actually, that number of donors, 100 is actually very conservative. I'm keeping them the same just for the purposes of this model. But because the monthly donation number is lower, one would expect that the number of donors would be greater than 100 keeping everything else equal. So that could be 150 200 whatever. But I'm keeping it 100 just for the simplicity of this model. So now if you look in row 39, 
we have the first month being $5,200. That's the monthly recurring revenue for month one. And then every subsequent month, we also get $5,200. And this, and you notice in this model, there's no big annual fundraising event. We're assuming that this nonprofit, EJI, is relying completely on uh, donors and not applying for grants, donations, uh, sorry, da- uh, events for fundraising, uh, things like that. So it's all from just donors crowdsourcing and donating their funds. Now, a few things that I wanted to, a few additional things I thought were important to add to this model was new donor revenue. These are, again, just new people coming in, similar to our first model where we have new one-time donations. These are new people that are coming in to uh, donate, and I'm just putting it $100 a month one and increasing it by $100 every subsequent month. And then I added this line called donation upsell. Now, what is that? Now, my thinking here is that the monthly someone who donates monthly in this case 52 bucks a month they may think about or EJI, EJI may provide additional ways for the donor to get involved with the nonprofit so maybe uh, if you add on another five dollars a month you can also help um, 100 more people in this underprivileged community or if you give another ten dollars a month that would that would uh, allow us to fund, you know, two more programs per month to support incarceration programs. So I'm assuming that given that a monthly donor is giving less, is giving less per month, and it's a relatively small amount, there are opportunities for EJI to upsell that donor, you know, these small incremental amounts. But again, if you add it up across your entire donor base, that could be a lot of money. So there's that. And then... I also added a line for churn, and churn basically means monthly donors who decide that they don't want to donate anymore, and I assume that 10% every month will churn. So this, again, this very simplified model, there there should be a lot more rigor that goes into forecasting this out, but basically every month $520 is lost due to people deciding they don't want to donate anymore on a monthly recurring basis. and. You know, those are that's just lost revenue per month. Now, if you look at the totals, if you compare the two totals, I purposely made it so that they would equal the same. So, 09 is seventy one thousand four hundred dollars in the one time donation model. In 043, the total is seventy one thousand seven hundred sixty dollars. So, the total for EJI across the entire year, they're getting the same amount of revenue. But the big difference here is if you look at the chart. Now the chart looks a little different because I'm adding in more series for different for all the different revenue streams. The green bars, and I think I have a screenshot of I'll have a screenshot of this in the blog post, is total donation revenue. Now, if you compare this to the first line chart, this is a steadily increasing green chart showing total donation revenue by by month. And then I also have bars for monthly recurring revenue, which is flat. Uh, donation upsell, which is a slight increase. <clears throat> So it's a much more smooth and uh, kind of you know upwards and to the right types of chart, and it's it doesn't look as staggered as the one-time donation model, which is again relying on one big event throughout the year in the year for EJI to raise a bunch of funds. Now, why is this important? Well, because the main thing is that having a monthly recurring donation model 
where EJI is focused purely on monthly recurring revenue, allows them, the key point here is that it allows them for, to better plan and forecast um, what their their business quote unquote will look like and how they can better uh, for how they can better plan for new investments and costs in programs in initiatives and in headcount in overhead for their organization um, and it just gives more security and stability for the the organization to plan these things out in the future when they know they can fo- they ha- have um, this monthly base of donations. Now, what this means for you is think about how you are giving your funds on a, on a, to EGI or some other organization. If you are in the bucket of one-time donations, you could, the, the organization could be in the situation where they're in the one-time donation model and they have to rely on grants and these big fundraising events, big marketing campaigns to drive new donations. And it makes it much more difficult for them to forecast out what the revenue will look like in the future and also how they can better plan for investments in their programs. In the monthly recurring revenue model, you are one of many people who are giving just a little bit every month. And this leads to more predictability for the organization and also just kind of guarantees their success for the future as well. Um, and they can still do programs, they can still do fundraising events, but the key thing here is that they have this base of monthly recurring revenue that they can focus on, even though the a- the average monthly donation is less and could be far less, but that that's the they could have so many more donors that um, can contribute to the, the 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 base of recurring revenue. So that's just like a way of thinking about or modeling out what the two different types of donation models mean for a nonprofit like EJI, but more importantly for you, for the consumer, if you are in a position to give and donate, um, I would highly encourage thinking about the monthly donation model, and that's what I personally have been focused on as well, given just how the math works. Now, I thought a little more deeply about what this means um, beyond just the numbers. So, from the, again, from the perspective of the nonprofit, they don't have to plan these large annual you know benefit galas to raise money um they don't have to and they can better focus and i think a lot of time is spent focusing on building these events planning them inviting people you know all that all that jazz and that's time and productivity that could be spent on the actual like the actual mission of the nonprofit. you know whether it's you know, incarceration, legal defense funds, all those different organizations, we want them to focus on what they do best, which is programs, policies, um, initiatives that help eliminate racial injustice, correct? And while these events are great, they bring the community together, they do, I think, take away from the focus sometimes, um, in my opinion, because they have to dedicate human resources costs to these these galas, to these fundraising events, these marketing campaigns to raise more money. And that just, you know, is not, I think, not a good use of their resources when it comes to actually making change in, in the world. Uh, I talked about how they can better predict and forecast headcounts and costs if they have this monthly recurring revenue model. And 
I think for the I think another thing to think about is from the perspective of the nonprofit, um, giving focusing on the monthly recurring revenue model also means that um, they have to provide certain things to the donors, and you as a donor may expect certain things from the nonprofit themselves as well. And what, that, what does that look like? So if you are just donating one time, I think for a lot of people, it's it's kind of like a emotional response to the current environment. And so there is this emotion attached with giving, you know, in that spur of the moment, you see all this news, you see all the injustice, and you just donate to whatever uh, organization that you feel strongly for, and it becomes an emotional type of, I want to call it a transaction. So it's kind of like an emotional thing. But what if we reverse this model and we made it made the donation feel more kind of like, you know, you're paying for some kind of uh, online tool, online SaaS application that you use every day. And now instead of focusing on the emotion, the nonprofit can focus more on the deliverables. So every month, I mean, obviously a lot of nonprofits are doing this already, but I'm thinking about pushing this even more to the extreme of let's treat this as like, I'm me as a donor, I'm giving this EJI or whoever a monthly donation. I'm expecting a certain deliverable, whether it's updates on a project, um, new analyses, new policies, and I can see this progress over time. And this keeps me wanting to give back every month and keep my monthly uh, don- donation going. And this ultimately comes down to, I can almost see an ROI from my monthly donation. So it kind of takes a little bit of that emotion out of the donation and it focuses more on the deliverable in more of like a, a business sense. And, you know, I think in that world, as a donor, I'm almost, ex- I have some kind of expected value that comes from my donation versus I'm making a purely emotional response to what's going on around the world. Um, you know, for instance, most many of you out there may be paying for Netflix. You know, you pay your monthly subscription fee, and that's because you expect a certain um, you expect a certain amount of entertainment every month from Netflix. You watch, you binge watch your shows, you uh, watch new um, features that Netflix produces. You know, all that good stuff, and you can you can see this value when you log on to Netflix every month. Now. Can you see that same kind of value when you log on, quote unquote, to one of these new uh, organizations they are donating to? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I think it may be. This is maybe more um, uh, my thinking on how nonprofits can approach this: is that you are a platform, just like any other online platform that consumers use, and you are able to provide some kind of expected value to the donors who are. Uh, open to giving monthly revenue to you, monthly donations. Um, so I think if we can think about if you are if you are looking for a community or organization to support, and you're able to get that expected value from it, just like you might from Netflix, from um, any other online platform that you use these days for work or whatever, uh, that may give you a new frame for thinking about how you can donate uh, monthly instead of a one-time donation. 
And I think the similarities, I'm trying to draw more similarities between donating monthly to one of these organizations to SaaS applications because the the business model, quote unquote, of a nonprofit just getting these huge um, sums of money, these big lump sums of money, uh, is like you know it's like a it's like a big hit for that one month, and it feels great, and you know all the. And you may see on social media like, oh, like, you know, EJI, we just got millions of dollars and new donations this month. But it's going to f- – it's most likely going to feel less likely – it's going to be less likely that that level of donation will be coming in the month two and month three. And I think if we can encourage people to donate monthly, this puts nonprofits in a better position to show that their donations are constantly increasing and that kind of – confidence, if you will, just breeds more donations coming in and just leads to more increases in donations and more stability for um, that nonprofit. Um, secondly, another reason I want to compare this to SaaS applications, I, I know it's kind of weird, but follow this with me. It Every month, again, aside from getting that expected value, I think it keeps you more engaged with the community that you originally donated to versus the one-time donation because you see a monthly, uh, you know, money going out every month from your bank account, and you'll see emails coming in from that that um, that nonprofit. And those, if you're doing if you're donating one time, my guess is that those emails will feel more like. Hey, think about donating again, or here are things that are going on that here's reasons why you should donate. Instead of getting emails like that, the nonprofit is giving you emails that are providing you more value and giving you updates on how your money is being used and how the number of donations have increased and what the community of donors is doing. I think it just keeps you more involved. And this is great for the nonprofit because the more the donors feel involved with the process and with the uh, community, the more they will want to keep their monthly recurring donations going because they're part of the community. Um, so that's another reason why I really like this kind of comparison. Um, in terms of other things is, you know, this is also kind of like more similar to how we pay for our online tools and software these days is if it's a monthly recurring donation, it's more of a variable um, they, thinking about it in terms of like the overhead for the nonprofit, um, they can better plan for variable costs versus a fixed cost. Um, the big one-time donation is it will be again very difficult to plan for what costs they can the nonprofit can incur in the future. Um, but if they can see that the monthly recurring revenue comes in every month, then there are more v- variable costs that they can focus on versus like. Um, having a big fixed cost. I mean, you have to increase the number of headcount by a lot or you have to increase, you have to build a new office somewhere and that requires a big capital expenditure. Do we have enough revenue as a nonprofit to support that? Um, I think having that monthly recurring revenue model gives the nonprofit more stability and more freedom to make those kind of big capital expenditure costs. And um, yeah, I think given the size of the one-time I mean, back to the SaaS model, before software was sold on the basis of 
I'm selling to the CTO. You're going to invest like a million dollars in my new software and you're going to implement it over to your company over the next five years. And that's kind of the sale. Whereas the SaaS model is you can pay me based on the number of people that want to use the software. So it can only be $100 per seat or $50 per seat, whatever it is. A very low cost. It doesn't require a ton of budget approval because each comp- each employee in the company can pay for it um, out of their own cost centers. And it's less hard, it's less hard to make that budget approval. And so if you're thinking about a one-time donation, chances are you want to make it big and you want to make it, um, you want to make it, you want it to feel like for you personally, it has a big impact on the organization and it's hard work for you to think about what that number should be. And I think one, a lot of the platforms these days that are showing that this monthly contribution model can work are platforms like Substack and Patreon, where individuals individuals can give to a writer on Substack, knowing that they're going to get these really uh, customized and high value newsletters that come out every month. Or you can give on Patreon, where you just want to support someone who is every month who is providing some value to the world. And I think these platforms show that. There is an easy path to get recurring revenue for all these nonprofits out there that are currently getting a lot of donations. Um, just being able to focus on getting, focusing less on you know that big one-time pledge and more on those small little amounts is it definitely adds up. And I think that's where platforms like Substack and Patreon really show that that model can work and can support um, organizations that are doing great work. Yeah, um, so that's that's kind of my thinking, um, starting from this simple um, Google Sheets model that I built, and it kind of got me thinking about all these other topics um, and how nonprofits can be more closely related to um, SaaS applications. And I think more broadly in terms of what's going on right now in our world. And one question that I think about is, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has been important for for years. It wasn't just recently, but why did it take a, a very tragic event like um, George Floyd to cause this this big um, social uh, upheaval? And wh- how did it, and why did it take a tragic event like this to cause donations to spike for all these different organizations? Um, particularly from companies, you know, you see many companies like Nike, um, Jordan brand, so on and so forth, just giving large sums of money to all these different organizations. And I think about like, why did it take such a tragic event like this for this, you know, outcome to happen? And that line of thinking, um, I don't think is super, you know, novel or, um, like groundbreaking, but it makes me think, I mean, this, this is like a thought experiment here. What about other initiatives that have not have not that, that have not have had such a tragic event happen in the last you know year or so. And what does that, and what does that mean for the livelihood of their donations coming in? So I'm thinking about other initiatives and other, um, yeah, just other initiatives like animal rights, women's rights, 
around the world, environmental protection. I actually thought that earlier this year, the Australian fires would have a huge impact on uh, climate change and the donations going to environment, uh, environmental protection type of organizations. But I don't think we saw as much of that in the news cycle as we have with um, uh, what's going on right now with Black Lives Matter movement. And I think it's just, it's it's a little unfortunate to see that it takes these huge events as tragic as they are to cause um, these different organizations and what they're fighting for to come to the forefront. And taking this experiment, taking this thought experiment a little further, what is the donation? What does this mean for donations to these other initiatives like animal rights, women's rights, environment, so on and so forth? Will they see a decrease in donations because all these companies and people around the world are now donating to the, the Black Lives Matter movement and other initiatives focused on racial injustice. My hope is no, but it, it see, it, I'm, I'm really thinking about what these other initiatives that are important, uh, maybe in the grand scheme of things, not as important as the Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but they're just as important in terms of solving some of our world's problems, like people's, you know, uh, charity, I suppose, maybe can only go so far. And if you are donating a dollar to uh, one of the Black Lives Matters organizations, does that mean that there's no more dollars left for these other, other initiatives that are also very important for, for our world? Um, just thought experiment that I had and um, really, really curious to know if there's any analyses like that, that someone is doing um, because, you know, knowing people that work in these different sectors um, in women's rights and environmental protection, um, they don't have, you know, these huge tragic events that will all of a sudden cause a spike in donations and a spike in people interested in covering those organizations. Um, what can we do to raise awareness for these other organizations um, given their importance um, in the world uh, while also keeping the importance of Black Lives Matter movement alive as well. Uh, so it, I think it's a very interesting time now in terms of giving. And uh, I think the overall message is that if you do decide to give, and my hope is that you do, is really think about, um, commit to giving that monthly donation because it just means so much more to the organization than you know, that one time um, hit of, uh, of, of donations that is good still, but um, the recurring model is much better for the longevity of the organization. Uh, that is kind of the, and I know this is kind of a deep, a little deep episode on, on what it means to donate to all these different organizations. And I'll put a link to um, this article from The Strategist that I thought was really good in terms of finding different organizations that you can potentially think about giving to given our current environment. And yeah, that's um, that's all I want to talk about in terms of um, thinking about these different two different models for donating. Uh, the uh, two other, actually these are not podcasts, but just some other videos and blog posts I've read recently that I wanted to comment and mention about is 
um, completely turning 180 degrees here is uh, the Professor Aswath Damodaran. He is a professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. He had a a webinar recently um, in May about just uh, how he's thinking about the COVID crisis. And Professor Damodaran, I might be saying his last name wrong, he is focused on um, how to value different companies and how their valuations have changed during the, the crisis. And he talks about this during the webinar. And around minute 25, he talks about how the way that most finance professionals value companies, um, especially in the academic setting, doesn't take into account a lot of different variables that are happening um, at these new companies where you can't just look at you know the DCF analysis and think, okay, this is how I'm going to value the company and here's what their earnings per share looks like. There are a lot more variables taking taking into account. I'm sure a lot of finance professionals obviously do this already, but he made a good point in that when I was learning finance in school, you know, it was kind of like learning math where you just learn these formulas and then the output was, you know, this is the value of the company. Now, what the professor talks about in the video is that given the new types of companies that are taking place and the huge valuations that are happening for some startups, you really have to take into uh, you really have to take a multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary analysis on what's going on around the world. Uh, sorry, what's going on around the world? Uh, what's going on with the company? And he brings an example, I think, for Uber, where he was he valued Uber given traditional academic finance methods, but then he started looking at some of the marketing materials um, that Uber was pushing out and other materials that were not necessarily related to building out his valuation models. And he was talking about looking at take rates and um, different subscription models that Uber was providing. And he had to take into account those other variables and bake them into his valuation model um, before he put a final valuation on, on Uber. And this, this concept, I think, I've talked about quite a bit um, across multiple episodes. I think the, the one book that sticks to mind for me is Super Forecasting. I remember I talked about super uh, forecasting a, um, a few months ago by Dan Garner and Philip Tetlock, that book. And it was about just how the best forecasters are utilizing multiple models and variables in their forecasts and not just looking at the regular variables you may think about when, in term, when it comes to modeling out what that, um, what that forecast will do. And... I think the uh, professor really hammers home the point that if you are working in a finance capacity, um, especially in academic finance, like you have to take into account statistics and operations and marketing and all their types of metrics and variables um, before you kind of like are able to more confidently create a valuation for the company that is accurate and makes sense for that matter because of how interconnected so many of these things are. Um, gone are the days where you can just plug plug the the cash flows and the cost of capital into a, a formula, and then you you get the valuation. Um, that's how I learned, and uh, it's obviously not going to work now, given really all the data that we have about these companies and their customers, the usage of the products. Uh, so on and so forth. So um, definitely an interesting webinar to check out and uh, would, I'll have a link to that in the show notes.
Uh, getting close to minute 40 now, so I'm going to quickly mention another article that I read recently. And the article is called uh, The White Darkness, A Solitary Journey Across Antarctica by David Graham. Um, this was published back in February 2018. And it's about it's this article is referred to me by a friend and it's a really long article but well worth the read and it talks about a man named henry wars henry worsley who i believe was used to work he was a, a british army officer um, at one point in his career and he decided to hike across antarctica and one of his heroes is Ernest Shackleton, who did this hike. Um, he did, a, I think, some version of the hike back in the early 1900s. And he and uh, Henry Worsley um, did this hike in, um, I think it was in the, I, I can't remember exactly, uh, but I think it was like in 2007 or 2008. Um, I, I, f I forget exactly, but th just read the article <laughs> and you'll figure it out. Um, but it's one of those articles, where, and I haven't read one of these articles in a long time, where it talks about just the human will to suffer and persevere physical pain. And it, the article goes in-depth into how Worsley basically had gotten frostbite and you know just got completely malnourished as he was hiking across Antarctica, pulling you know all his gear in you know very freezing temperatures. Um, and despite all the odds, despite all the physical setbacks, he just kept on going. Um, and he eventually finished it. Oh, no, he, I think he finished one hike, but then the second time he wanted to do something different and it, it didn't work out all the way. Um, but it, it really makes you think, like, if you think you're suffering, read this article and you realize what suffering really means in terms of physical suffering. And... Uh, I think the important thing I wanted to walk away with from this article was like, there is suffering that happens to you to involuntarily, but this was suffering that Worsley brought to himself um, voluntarily. And I always, I mean, I think it always surprises me what people are willing to put themselves through in order to get some type of discovery about themselves, some type of, um, uh, peace or nirvana or like uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, epiphany about themselves and I think this article just shows the the physical lengths that someone will go to to reach a goal that they believe is is uh, helps them accomplish something in their life and especially when it um, I think a lot of people think about this in terms of like, oh, I have to work really hard and get a lot of money and I've accomplished something. But then there are those who need that physical suffering. And that could come as something as simple in the gym where you just want to push yourselves to the limit to lift weights heavier and be physically fit. Um, <clears throat> that, is a, that is something I, I thought about a lot as I was reading this article and what kind of suffering we're able to put ourselves through voluntarily in order to achieve some type of goal that um, we want to achieve. And there's just one paragraph, actually, that um, stood out to me in, in the article. I'll read it right here. And this is from, oh, yeah, this is uh, kind of just some quotes from Worsley and his wife, Joanna. So it starts off, the paragraph starts off, quote, 
every spare hour was devoted to the project, and bloody Shackleton became a phrase frequently used by the children, Worsley wrote. By October of 2008, he and his colleagues were ready to embark on what had been officially named the Matrix Shackleton Centenary Expedition. Before leaving, Worsley and his family gathered for an early Christmas celebration. Even though Henry had been telling Joanna for years about the glories of Antarctica, it still seemed to her like the most dreadful place in the world. Yet she believed that, to borrow Thomas Pynchon's words, quote, everyone has in everyone has in an Arctic. Some place people seek to find answers about themselves. In the case of her husband, it was the Antarctic itself, and so she gave her blessing to the adventurer even though it threatened to take from her the man she loved. And that quote right there, everyone has an Antarctic, someplace people seek to find answers about themselves. And I'm sure you have an Antarctic, your friends have an Antarctic, your family has an, has an Antarctic. And ultimately, I this article made me reflect on what is my Antarctic and where do I seek to find answers about myself. Um, hopefully you can do that same type of reflection um, as you're listening to this episode. And uh, that is it for this episode, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.